0: We're going to start this morning with the reading of our scripture. This passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I believed. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. May God send his Holy Spirit to bless it to our hearts as we gather in his name today. I remember hearing a pastor one time say that if you've heard the gospel and it didn't appeal to you, then you didn't really hear the gospel. I was very intrigued by that statement. And I remember sitting there and and thinking about it for a long time, questioning whether I actually agreed with that or or not. You know, my hesitation wasn't over whether I believe that the gospel has the power to, to change lives, you know, because I do. Rather, my objection was more when I started to think about people who for lack of a better term, do reject the gospel. Those who, for one reason or another, just don't seem to want any part of it. And as I thought about these people, I began to to question, what is this statement really trying to to get at? If the gospel doesn't appeal to someone, does that mean that that it wasn't presented to them correctly? Or does it mean that they just didn't understand it? Or what exactly are you getting at? I ended up writing this down in the front of my Bible here. And over the next couple of years, every once in a while when I would open it up, I would see that, that quote. And I'd be reminded of it and I'd think about all those questions all over again. Over time, I gradually began to realize that the key to it really lied in how you define the gospel. That's what makes all the difference. And that's actually our, our topic here for today. What is the gospel? How do you define it? What is the message that, that Jesus shared? Or, or what is the purpose of his ministry? In thinking about how we would answer that, we're going to look at it in the context of our scripture. Paul started by saying, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. What is this gospel message that Paul is, is referring to here? You know, is it simply, as he goes on to say in, in verse 3 and 4, that, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and, and on the third day he rose from the grave? Is it as simple as just believing those facts? For a long time, I would have probably argued yes, that, that that's essentially all it is. You know, I might have added that, you know, because of those things, you, you now have the hope of eternal life. But, but that's essentially what I felt like the gospel really was. Last fall, though, I, I began to have my understanding of the gospel stretched a little bit. I took a class on evangelism in seminary. First night, the first class we had, the very first question the professor asked is, what is the gospel? I remember thinking, now that's a trick question if I've ever heard one. Like, I'm not even going to try and answer that. So I just sat there. Apparently, I wasn't the only one that felt like that, though, because not a single person in our class spoke up. We probably sat there in this awkward silence for like 20 seconds or more. That's a long time when somebody's asked a direct question they're waiting on an answer to. Eventually, it got too awkward for somebody because they decided they were just going to throw something out there. They said, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, the professor kind of smirked, and he said, Now that is the Gospels, but that's not what I'm getting at. Now, what is the Gospel message? If evangelism is sharing your faith, what is that faith that that you're sharing? We sit there again for for a little while in silence. Finally, somebody said, how about it's the good news of Jesus Christ? And at that point, the professor was like, okay, now we're at least starting to get somewhere. I said, but what is that good news? And meanwhile, I'm sitting there thinking, this is the whole reason I was not going to answer that question. <laughs> because we could play this game forever. Eventually somebody said, well, I, I guess in a nutshell that it's essentially that Jesus is the son of God, that he came and lived a perfect life. He, he died on the cross for our sins, and then three days later he rose from the grave. The professor's like, okay, now why does that matter? We're all sitting there kind of looking at him like he's a heretic. But then he goes on to say, because when you figure that out, that's when everything changes. That's the most important part. The point he's trying to get at is that the gospel isn't just about having the right set of core beliefs. That if you believe certain things, then everything will be all right. You know, because at the end of the day, believing that Jesus died and, and rose again doesn't change anything in and of itself. It's what we do with our beliefs that ultimately make all the difference. You know, our beliefs have to, to take, have to cause a change to take place in us somehow. You know, and So what is it that allows that to happen? In our scripture for today, Paul said that the gospel message that he shared to them or with them is that which you received in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. And therefore, it's, it's essentially the foundation upon which you build the rest of your faith. It's what gives us the hope of that new life. I have a, a good friend of mine who actually helped me understand the gospel and my current understanding of it. I call him Bill. I've known Bill since I was in college. And, and I've talked about him in here before. Some of you all might remember this. He's the guy who texted me a couple years back, and, and he says, hey, I need you to help me find God. Of course, he sent that on a day when, when I was really busy. I was trying to help my mother move, and, and I had other stuff I needed to do later that night, and I couldn't just stop and, and quit and, and sit down and talk to him like I needed to. So I ended up sending some text messages back and forth with him. I started by asking him, well, what do you know about God? What kind of questions do you have? And he responded, nothing. He said, I've never read the Bible. I've never been to church. I don't know anything. He said, I've just seen the, the impact that it's had on people's lives, and I want that. I need that, so, so tell me it all. You know, at this point, I'm thinking, where in the world do I start? I mean, do I start with Jesus and, and the cross but how in the world is that going to make any sense to him? You know, especially without God and creation and everything that led up to it. The best answer I ended up being able to come up with that day was I, I encouraged him to, to start reading the Gospel of John. I told him as you read through this, if, if you come across things you don't understand or questions that you have, write them down or, or text them to me and I'll be happy to, to answer them as best I can. I'll never forget his response to that, though. Because to prove that he wasn't kidding about not knowing anything, he then asked me, so where do I find this Gospel of John? He said, is it at Barnes & Noble or where do I go? I thought, oh my goodness. You're not kidding here. And I, went on, I got on my phone, I went to the, the, the app store and I screenshotted the app that I use and, and so I sent him that and I just kind of waited to hear back. Very quickly, though, it seemed like time passed, and I didn't hear anything back from him. And, and from that point on, anytime I would talk to him, I, I just couldn't get him to, to talk about it. He had been open to receiving the message that day. He wanted to know about God for some reason that one day. Once that day passed, he was no longer interested. I always felt so bad about that because I felt like I would really blown a great opportunity to share my faith with him and, and to possibly make a huge impact in his life. You know, as time began to go by, though, I started to, to spend more time thinking about what should I have said to him here? You know, if, if this opportunity comes again, what am I going to tell him? You know, ultimately, decided to focus on our, our question for the day. You know, what is the gospel? You know, what is it about that, that that changes everything? The first place I thought I would start was with Jesus. I figured I'd, I'd talk about Jesus and the crucifixion and and his death and resurrection. But as I thought about that with Bill and mine specifically, I finally began to realize what that evangelism professor was, was talking about that first night of class. You know, Because I started asking myself, what does, what does the resurrection, what does that mean to him? To somebody who has a completely blank slate, who knows absolutely nothing, how is that going to have an impact on his life? what is that going to change by itself? And I ultimately realized I was kind of making the gospel a little too small. Even though I didn't realize it, I was, I was essentially making it out to be just a core set of small beliefs that I felt like every Christian needed to have. You know, And that's not what the gospel really is. You know, the gospel message doesn't change our circumstances. We still have to face the things that, that are in our lives. Gospel gives us a different perspective, though, a new hope that we didn't have without it. You know, and so for people like Bill, I really began to question: Is what is it about this message that will actually may have a practical impact on his life? You know, what is it about these beliefs that are actually going to make a difference? It was probably two years or more before I, before Bill wanted to talk about God again. When he finally called me and. and and told me that, that he wanted me to help him find God a second time. Remember I remember I, I decided I was done with all work for the day. I was just going to sit there and talk to him as long as it took. We started out, I asked him once again, I said, tell me, why are you suddenly wanting to find God? Why now? And he started telling me about how he was having some personal problems in his life, and, and especially how his dad had recently got diagnosed with, with some illness that they were really worried about. He said, I just, I don't know where to turn or where to go. And this conversation ended up being a very pivotal moment in my life because I had to decide, what is it I'm going to tell him here? What is it that I believe that this gospel message is always about? What is it that's actually going to make a difference? My answer to that and what I ultimately told him that day is that I feel like the gospel is really pretty simple. I feel like it all boils down to two main points. The first one is that, that God loves you. No matter who you are or what you've done, God still loves you. The second point is that God is, is, trying to, is reaching out, wanting to be in relationship with you. you know, maybe I'm wrong. This answer could always evolve and, and change, but it feels to me like every other Christian belief builds off one of those two principles or there evidence of. Obviously, Bill's next question then was, how do I know this? What's the proof? You know, being that, that Bill was a fellow football player with me, I knew that he wasn't exactly an academic person. We don't always like to study and, and read, so I knew he wasn't going to go do a bunch of research to find out. And, and so I told him, I said, at some point, if you want to develop a deep relationship with God, you're going to have to spend some serious time reading the Bible. You know, that's the, how we find out who God is and what God is like and, and how God's at work in the world. But I didn't feel like that was the place for him to start. And so instead, I decided I was going to try and explain God's grace to him, how I understood it. If you're not familiar with, with this, you know, God's grace is, is freely given. There's nothing we can do to earn it. You know, and, and it's all the same, but yet we break it up into these three categories to kind of help us understand how, how we experience it, provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. You know, and each one of them kind of correlates to a different point in our lives you know, along our Christian walk, how God is at work in our lives during those times. So I started explaining to Bill how the evidence I saw of, of God's provenient grace in his life, you know, and how God was, was showing him that he loved him and that he was wanting to, to be in relationship with him. And you know, just so I'm clear, God's grace works the same for all of us. It's the same way with each and every one of us. God loves every one of us. With Bill, though, I, I started by, by focusing on our relationship. Talked about how even though we had grown up 1,700 miles away, we would still ended up on the same team. Even though we were on the same team and there was 130 guys on the team at any given time, we also still became fairly good friends. I said, and, and I see that as evidence that God was, was making sure that you had somebody you could turn to, that you could talk to, and, and that could help you find out what you're looking for. And then I talked about the providential grace in, with his dad and, and how his dad had lived for 25 years in California, and before six months before that, just deciding all of a sudden to move close to where Bill was. He said, so now you get to be there with your dad every day as he struggles with this. You can be there and see him, you can support him. Imagine how difficult this would be if he was a thousand miles away. You know, and because Bill's dad had, had moved to where, where Bill was, he also happened to be next to one of the best hospitals, you know, for his particular illness. You know, he may not have been able to get in there if he hadn't have moved. You know, I could have gone on with this list for, for a while. But the important thing to understand is that God is always at work in every one of our lives. Just like this. You know, through our friends and our family, our doctors, and, and really anyone who we come into contact with. And the key is learning to recognize that. You know, and that's not always easy to do. It's often easy to look back in our lives and see how God was at work in the past you know, the connections that were made, the things that turned out better than we thought they would or, or that we can't figure out how they, they turned out at all. It takes a whole lot of trust, though, to trust that God is, is at work in our life when we can't see it in the moment. Trusting that God is there and, and good is going to come. It's kind of funny, but one of the best ways that I learned how to, to start recognizing this in my own life is by watching Joel Osteen. I know Joel is not always the most popular person in many circles, but he played a huge role in, in my spiritual journey. You know, I see Joel specifically as an evidence of God's provenient grace at work in my life. You know, I found him randomly one night late in college. I wasn't quite ready to go back to church yet. But for some reason, I got hooked watching Joel. I started watching him every week. You know, and over about the next nine months, I began to feel that, that urge to come back. You know, so when my wife finally invited me to, to join her here at Woods Chapel, I was open to it. And I don't know if that would have happened without Joel. The thing I always loved about him, though, is that his message always seemed to be pretty simple. You know, they seemed to come down to two main points. His main point was usually that God can and, and wants to bless you. Now, that's not necessarily the terminology I would use, but if, if you're not trying to control the blessing decide what it has to be, it's not a big jump to go from God wants to bless you to God is always at work in your life. Always watching over you, making connections and protecting you, guiding you in everything that you do. Joel's second point then usually was, with that in mind, then enjoy life. Work hard. And trust that God is, is there with you. That you're not facing it alone. When I started to think about life in this way, It gave me a whole new perspective, you know, because I started to see things that I'd always taken for granted or seen as a coincidence as signs of God at work in my life. And I started to be so much more thankful for everything positive that was happening. You know, that's how we begin to build our faith. It's by trusting that God is with us and all around us, working in and through us in everything that we do. You know, as I explained to Bill, the cross and the resurrection ultimately come in here and they tie all this together. You now the cross is another expression of God's love, proof that, that God does love us. The resurrection then is the proof that Jesus was who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, part of the Trinity. Because of that, we know that the promises that he made are true. That's what gives us the hope and the new perspective that we can have. It's knowing that God wants to be in that relationship with us. And that therefore, no matter what we're going through, we're not in it alone. Because God's there with us every step of the way. That's the good news that Jesus came to proclaim. It's what I believe is at the heart of the gospel message. When we put our faith in that, when we put our faith in God and Christ, that's what we're trusting in the claims that Jesus made that they're true and, and, that they're, and that he's with us. And once we've accepted that, then we just have to begin to live into it, to live out the gospel, to allow it to mold us and shape us into the person God created us to be. You know, and there's really three different ways that we go about doing that. There's a graph, I think, that will be up on the screen here in a moment that kind of helped me explain this. So each one of these circles is, is its own distinct category, but as you see they also all build off of one another they're interrelated but you have to have all three working together for your faith to grow that first category that you see up there on the top communion and when we think about it like in the terms of the means of grace, this is what John Wesley referred to as the works of piety so things that we do that are directed at God begins with scripture, obviously As I told Bill, you know, you can't build a a lasting relationship with God without a foundation built on Scripture. That's how we learn who God is and, and what God is like. And without that, we'll be in danger of making it up. Creating God to be just who we want God to be. Eventually, though, there comes a point where it's no longer just about acquiring knowledge. You have to begin experiencing God as well. And that's kind of what the rest of these are in the communion one are. You know, there's prayer and there's fasting. There's worship, taking communion. It's not a comprehensive list, but those are the main ones. The next category you see there on the right is mission. This is where Wesley referred to as the works of of mercy. So things that we do to to help others, directed at our neighbor. Things like, you know, feeding the hungry, addressing the needs of the poor. Visiting the sick and those in prison. When we do these things, we're we're responding to God's invitation to be the hands and feet of Christ. It's how God uses us to help bring about the change that he desires to see in the world. That last category up there, community, is is probably the one that gets overlooked the most. But it's a a very important one. Building a sense of community doesn't just happen naturally. We have to be very intentional. It takes work on our part. You know, and there really are two types of community that we're trying to build. You know, one is, is, is with fellow believers. You know, we have to have other Christians who are there to support us and to encourage us and, and, and to help keep us accountable. You know, without that, we don't have anyone to lean on during difficult times. I got another guy that I consider a really good friend. I actually met him here at church one Sunday. He and his family have attended Woods Chapel for probably a year, maybe a little more. I always enjoy seeing him every time that, that I run into him. But a couple months ago, he told me that he had decided he was not coming back anymore. And I told him, I said, okay, you know, not every church is, is a right fit for every person. But I'm just curious, what, what happened? What's going on? He said, well, truthfully, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it anymore. I don't feel like my faith is growing. Okay. And then he says, and and the biggest one of all is, is I don't feel any sense of community whatsoever. And I don't feel like anybody has any idea who I am. You know, I don't hardly know anyone else. And that's what I really am looking for right now and what I need. When he told me that, I, I actually started to laugh. I told him that's funny because that's the whole reason why I'm still here. See, so the first two or three years I attended Woods Chapel, I did so mainly because nobody would talk to me. Said so I could slip in and slip out on Sunday morning and not a single, wouldn't have to say a single word. And that's what I was looking for at that time. You know, if everybody had tried to, to shake my hand and say good morning and, and wanted to talk, I would have never came back. I liked that it felt like I was almost invisible. You know, but that's not what this guy was looking for. He wanted that sense of community. So I asked him, I said, well, what did you do to, to try and build it? Did you fill out your connecting card? He said, well, sometimes. I said, did you join a connect group? No. Did you join a small group? No. I said, did you get involved in any missions? No. I said, well, how did you think this was going to happen? And well, how did you think you were going to get connected to, to other people? The only reason why I even had any idea who he was was he came and introduced himself to me. He found me one Sunday after I had preached and and he came up and he asked me a question and he used the most colorful language I've ever heard. And I thought, I've got to figure out who that is. And so I hunted him down. If it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have had any idea who he was either. You know, if you're here today and you're not ready to take that next step, get more connected, I completely understand. I was in that same boat for a long time myself. It's important to understand, though, that at some point if we want our faith to continue to grow, if we want to build connections with other Christians, then we have to take the initiative. We have to find some way to get involved or somehow. You know, Besides the fact that I felt invisible when I first started coming here, the other thing I've always loved about this place is that there's always something going on. You know, no matter what you're interested in, there should be something that appeals to you. And whether it's a mission or, or a small group or a care group or, or youth or children's activities, there is literally something always happening in this place. You know, if you can't find something to get connected in, you're not trying. second way that we build community is by going outside of these walls and Like the last one, this is part of, of God's redemptive work in the world. You know, that doesn't happen if we stay in little groups of, of like-minded people, trying to exclude everyone who's not exactly like us. You know, God calls us to go out into the world and to partner with those who are different than us, you know, and, and to, to work together, to, to learn from one another. That's ultimately how we share God's love. And, and that's what the gospel message is all about. It's about sharing and and coming to to understand ourselves that God loves us and that God is always reaching out to us, wanting to be in relationship with us. The gospel is not about having the right beliefs so that we spend eternity in heaven. Our relationship with God can start today and it lasts the rest of our existence. It continues to grow and, and develop over time. We have to do our part, though, we can't just hope that it magically happens. If your relationship with God is not where you would like it to be, you know, whether it's not as strong as it once was or you just wish it was more, I encourage you to, to think about those three circles up there. You know, for our faith to grow, it takes, it takes us doing parts in all three. You know, if you're missing something, you know, think about what it is you might need to invest more time or energy in. Every time that we get involved and and allow God to use us, we experience God in new and different ways. We learn more about God. And not only are we helping others, but our own faith is growing as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many blessings that you've continued to show us through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, for the opportunity that we have to have a relationship with you. God, we admit that we make a lot of mistakes that there are so many times that we fall short. But God, we thank you that you never give up on us, you know, for the unconditional love that you always show us. God, help us to reflect that love to others in all that we do. Give us the strength to be your hands and feet, you know, and to allow you to use us however you see fit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.